0: blaze radio network and now the rabbi daniel lapin show the more the world changes the more we find comfort in the things that never change change. this is rabbi daniel lapin on demand on the blaze radio network welcome to the rabbi daniel lapin show where I your rabbi reveal how the world really works Thanks for being part of the show. I greatly appreciate the efforts that so many of you have been making to spread the word about the show and pass it out and have more participants and more listeners and more viewers and more people writing in with questions and ideas and observations. All of that makes everything so much more fascinating for me and and involves me uh, more passionately in the work. So thank you very much indeed. I appreciate that. Now I'm continuing with uh, what we did last week. You might remember that uh, last week Mrs. Susan Lappin joined us in and um, we were talking about uh, seven uh, questions to ask yourself as to whether you are in a good relationship and uh, we discussed the first three last week. Unfortunately uh, Susan Lappin is down with the COVID. Um, you know, uh, thank God, no big deal. It's, um, it's, uh, she's pleased she'll have natural immunity once this is done, and, um, and we're getting through it. Um, what sort of medication are we taking? Are we taking uh, the, the new uh, drug uh, that has an X in it? Uh, No, we're not. Um, I'll give you a clue as to how we're medicating. I'm just going to give you a clue. Uh, It's the word horse, horse, Uh, as in quadruped, as in the creatures that roam on Assateague Island on the coast of Maryland and Virginia. Uh, that's, That's all I shall say on the medication. It's working great And uh, thank God she seems to be uh, having a light and relatively short affliction of uh, of the COVID. Um, I have a lot of Amish friends in the Lancaster area in Pennsylvania and elsewhere, and uh, they also went about it their own way. Uh, They um, they did not shut down their societies. They didn't shut their schools. They didn't shut their churches. And uh, and they're doing just fine. Um, they had no greater difficulties than anywhere else in the country. In fact, uh, they were a lot better off by a lot of measures. So, um, yeah, look, um, you get the idea. Enough said. So we were talking last week about a uh, psychologist in Portland, Oregon, um, who listed seven things that... Uh, uh, you need to check to see if you're in a good relationship. We discussed last week the use of the word relationship as opposed to marriage, and um, uh, we we cover that. So do if you haven't seen last week's, go back and listen to that. Um, you'll remember the first one are is uh, are are the pe- is the person you're with nice and kind and sweet and caring, uh, or are they mean bullies? And we laughed at that and we said, look, um, that's not the either-or. That is a, it's a setup and nobody should fall for that. Then they said, uh, uh, the psychologist said, do you feel safe and secure enough to be your authentic self? And we explained there that there is no such thing as your authentic self. Your authentic self is a work in progress, as is mine too, I hope. Uh, The only authentic self exists for a microscopic slice of time, but uh, each and every one of us is changing by the moment. Everything we do changes us, less uh, everything we think. We, We do get changed by thought, but not as much as by action. Uh, When we do things for good or bad, we get changed. We either improve or we deteriorate. We become better people or worse people. We become uh, better spouses, worse spouses. We become better parents, better children, better siblings or worse in all those categories. And ideally, of course, one of the great satisfactions in life comes from feeling progress, feeling that one is a better person. Being able to look at a situation and say, you know what, Ten years ago, I used to lose my temper about these kinds of things. Today, I don't. Ten years I used to get angry. You know what? Five years ago, I could be cast into a depressed, down mood by something like this happening. Today, I am able to handle it. Th- this is wonderful to be able to feel those developments and those changes. And so, obviously, to ask yourself if you can be your authentic self with the person with whom you are in a relationship. And I explained last week that um, a relationship means marriage. Uh, ladies, if you walk around saying, well, I'm his girlfriend, um, you're fooling yourself. That's not a relationship, actually. So um, there we are. Uh, can you be your authentic self when you're the other person, when you're with your spouse? I hope not. I hope not. I I hope that I'm constantly struggling to make my internal self correspond more to my external self. Isn't that an interesting thing? If if you are uh, told by somebody, listen, I want to give you a blessing that your internal self should resemble your external self or vice versa. I want to give you this blessing that your external self should resemble your internal self. And uh, you wonder now, which one is a better blessing? You just have to ask yourself, are you better behaved on the outside or on the inside? And the answer is that inside each and every one of us have thoughts, unworthy desires and ambitions and ideas that uh, we would just assume the world doesn't know about. But by the time we have filtered out our instincts and our emotions to be able to be reflected on the outside uh, we we generally want to project on the outside the best possible version of ourself that we can be and so the right blessing is not may your outside resemble your inside <laughs> that would be terrible no the, the 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 right blessing is may your inside come to resemble your outside and and that's worth thinking about i think it's um it's um, yeah. Look, it's 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 real. We're human beings. We all recognize that our hearts are not pure. That uh, deep inside of us, inside of ourselves, um, we 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 do have thoughts that um, we we wouldn't wish to have out in public. Now, as time goes by, of course, um, our outside begins to become set in certain ways. Uh, Some people, not everybody, but some people can read faces very accurately. Uh, President Lincoln was reputed to have once said uh, that he didn't want to appoint a recommended appointee to his cabinet. He didn't like the man's face. And the man's advocate said to the President, but um, Mr. President, Um, A man isn't responsible for his face. And the president said up to the age of 40, maybe not. But after that, he certainly is. Okay. Um, Yes, I, I, I think that for many people. Uh, certain characteristics do begin to be reflected in the face eventually not for everybody and not everybody can read that but it's worth bearing in mind that uh, as the years go by you do become uh, more and more integrated as a person. Your outside and your inside do begin to fall into uh, correspondence and that also means that uh, appearance wise we begin to, to match who we really are um, i 've spoken in the past about the fact that uh, the um, being a complaining kind of a person brings on an aged appearance now we don 't have time today for me to review but you can go back to an earlier podcast I wish I could tell you what date or what number but i, I can 't um, the uh, but in an earlier podcast I did explain the details of how that works but the bottom line is that as you check this out and uh, see among your circle of acquaintances you discover this is exactly true (laughs) it's beautiful it really is people who are sort of negative and pessimistic about life people who complain people who quetch, people who when you ask them how things are uh, their answer is not fantastic the answer is, "Oh, you know this and that," and grumble. It gets to the point you never want to ask that person how they are, because listening to the lamentable catalogue of calamities is. It's just so um, tiring and uh, and uh, unpleasant. You just don't want to do it anymore. But uh, the advantage of responding fantastically, well, uh, is number one. people like interacting with you, and number two. Um, yes it does help keep your uh, expression it helps to keep your face younger looking that's that's a reality Uh, so the idea that I am looking for a, a relationship where I can be my authentic self not true at all part of the reason I got married is I wanted to be with somebody who would expect the best of me somebody whom I would feel inspired to raise myself for and, uh, and that's not unusual among men uh, we, we look for a woman who is a good woman we look to marry somebody a woman f- who would inspire us to become better people and vice versa by the way same thing is true as well but um, the idea that I want to marry somebody so I can be my authentic self this is complete unadulterated bilge water. Somebody wrote in, I think it was on YouTube, somebody wrote in and, um, and said, what is this bilge water? I, I don't know what the bilge water means. So um, for your benefit, bilge water is a, uh, an unpleasant, smelly slurry of seawater and engine oil and anything else that has fallen into the bottom part of your boat. Um, you know if you broke a bottle of mayonnaise well there's probably some mayonnaise. mayonnaise the bilges are the part beneath the floor you walk on. Uh, y- the floor you walk on isn't the outer skin of the boat. The outer skin of the boat goes down towards the keel and uh, there's, in, in most boats there's nearly always a couple of inches of water. The, uh, the seal around the propeller shaft also leaks water for cooling purposes and so you know there's a drop or two every minute and so every now and then your bilge pump kicks in and and pumps out a you know half a gallon of water or wherever you've set the tripping point of the bilge pump but at any rate bilge water is uh, an unappetizing (laughs) unappealing and whenever you have to work down in the bottom of your boat you really want to pump out all the bilge water even want to clean out the bilges and that just makes the process of working down there (laughs) just a lot more pleasant than it would otherwise be so much for that idea then no we do not want to marry somebody who lets us be our authentic selves Um the next one was are your hopes and dreams and future goals being supported um yeah the the idea that you're married and you each have your own separate goals and dreams then you're not getting the idea of marriage or if you are in a relationship with you know your boyfriend and girlfriend well uh there i suppose you both do have your own independent goals for instance it's very possible that the uh, that the goals of one of them is to transform and grow this relationship into a marriage and the goals of the other may be to resist that for absolutely as long as possible that is very often a an example of mixed goals that you find in boyfriend girlfriend connections and so uh, yeah we're not we're not talking about that that is uh, that's a disaster waiting to happen uh but in a marriage obviously before long before you get married you want to be able to talk through these things and work out you know what are the goals of the marriage the marriage is that you know maybe maybe there are work goals for each one well first we're going to try and attain his work goal and and you're uh you're going to handle the the home front Maybe it's the other way around, but whatever it is, it's the couple working together in order to achieve the, the, the dreamlike, beautiful state of being married when you are heart and soul, body and soul, whether you're enti- totally and entirely connected with somebody, sharing the same vision for the future, wanting the same thing for yourselves and the same thing for your children whether they're yet born or your future children but to be with somebody where you have a unified set of goals that is that is what a marriage relationship really means and so uh, the idea that the person you're with must support your goals and you have to support their goals etc etc it's just sad really really sad and, and I, I pray that nobody participating in this show at the present time is in that kind of situation if you are please try and repair it in it's drastic and it it warrants drastic repair it really does Uh, then number four was do you feel like your emotional needs are being met do you feel like your emotional needs are being met or are you holding things back because they don't know how to show up for you. Okay, I'll just go with the first part of that. It's, it's It was poorly written, I'm afraid. But um, are your emotional needs... Do you feel like your emotional needs are being met? Well, there again, um, the best way to achieve your emotional needs, whatever that phrase means, by the way, it's not at all clear. What is your emotional needs? Well um, I need to feel loved. Okay well uh, then you have to determine with your uh, spouse what are the ways in which you feel love. For a man it is very often and not exclusively but nearly always involves physical intimacy. A man feels he is loved when a woman shares herself with him, as clearly put as I can. Uh, uh, For a woman, that's also obviously relevant and real, but there are additional needs that a woman has um, in terms of of feeling uh, connected with and communicated with, uh, feeling admired and adored, feeling protected, uh, For a man, in addition to physical intimacy, uh, feeling um, admired and respected. Now, these, these are all things that are brought about by actions, by behaviors. And so it's not a case of, are my emotional needs being met? First of all, it's what am I doing to make sure my spouse's needs are being met? I don't need the word emotional in front of it. Uh, She has many needs. One of her needs is that she has to be able to feel attractive and that means that she spends more money and more time on appearance than a man does or might Uh, and it's part of a husband's duty to make that available to provide all of that. I know that a lot of what I say probably sounds sometimes terribly antiquated right do you feel do you feel that I'm somehow speaking to the 18th century or the 19th century and and the answer is that uh, I'm not at all Uh, I'm very aware of how far we've all slipped in so many different zones of life but particularly in the area of marriage I know how far we've slipped from the ideal marriage and we've all taken guidance from uh, unauthorized and mendacious experts experts uh, who will tell you the most important thing in a marriage is uh, equality uh, or uh, you know and so on and and all kinds of other things like that uh, when these things are simply aren 't true. Um, There are marriages that are in horrible shape. I mean, honestly, I I don't know that I would be able to have stayed in such a marriage. They're marriages that are built uh, off the uh, the latest advice, off the Internet, off Psychology Today magazine. And um, uh, they don't work. They just don't. And so, I prefer, even though it may sound antiquated and may not be applicable in precisely the way I say it um, to everybody at the present moment, but if you know the truth, it's much easier for you to adapt to the closest to the truth you can possibly manage. But if it's distorted when it comes to you, then you don't stand a chance, right? I understand you know, if you're building a bridge, um, you might be trying to build a bridge over a creek in Africa. Um, somebody else might be trying to build a bridge over a, a long strait. They want a, a two-mile suspension bridge in China. Um, somebody else might be trying to uh, build a a, a, a a garden feature over a pond, and so everybody's building a bridge. My best shot at being helpful to you is giving you unadorned and perfectly accurately the precise laws of physics that apply to building a bridge. We'll talk about material strength. We'll talk about um, gravity. We'll talk about uh, um tensile and compressive strength we'll talk about how the forces on the bridge can best be transferred to the to either end so as the bridge can leap the span but I'll tell you those things in accurate terms I won't try and fudge those things I'll leave you to do the fudging necessary when you say well yeah um You know, what he's saying is, of course, true, but I'm building a bridge in my garden for my children to go over. No adults are going to be using this bridge. So I don't need to apply the same stress and weight principles that he spoke about. And you're absolutely right. Or else uh, somebody else might say, look, um, I don't have the money to build the kind of bridge ideally he's talking about. So I'm going to take certain risks. Uh, I'm going to accept that um I may have to strengthen this bridge down the road, but in order to get something up for the moment now I'm going to ignore rules c d and l, and i'll just follow the other rules and I know what i'm doing I know that i'm I'm accommodating to reality yeah I understand that's that that is so um I was uh, this is years ago I was speaking to a group of people and uh, I, I was teaching about the idea that in a marriage respect only can be given to each spouse by the other and so if you want children to treat your wife respectfully then it's up to you to make sure that happens she can't do it for herself if you want guests to treat your spouse respectfully then you have to Um, if you want social friends and members of your worship family to treat your spouse respectfully make sure then you do that Uh, if a father demands respect right the uh, the fifth commandment Right, You have to honor your father and mother. So if a father says, well, children, today we're going to start working on the fifth commandment. You are going to honor me. And the way you're going to do that is you are going to stand up when I walk into the room and you are never going to contradict me. You know, he comes across as a tyrannical buffoon. You can't do it that way. It doesn't work. The only way is if it is the mother who says to the children, don't you dare speak to your father like that ever again much better than if the father said you mustn't talk to me like that it doesn't work so this is one of the things that uh, happens in child raising and it's one of the reasons that the hebrew word for parents only exists as a plural there isn't such a thing as single parenting again we do our best we're accommodating. We can't follow all the rules because we're raising children without a, a husband or without a wife. You do the best you can knowing the rules as they exist, obviously. But um, uh, in, a, in a functioning, healthy marriage that is built on all the spiritual rules of ancient Jewish wisdom, uh, it is the, the wife that, um, that uh, um, brings about Respect for the husband and vice versa. So I'm explaining all of this, and uh, and a person says to me in the class, says, um, "When I walk through the door," he said, "I want to know if it's like what happens when you go home and walk through the door. What's it like when you go home and walk through the door?" So I said, "I'll I'll tell you." I'm not going to say it's 100% of the time because sometimes things are are rushed, sometimes there's stress going on, but if you ask me what is it like for Abba Daniel Lappin to walk into his house after a day's work, uh, I'll tell you. My wife meets me at the door, or as soon as she hears my entering the house, she's there, and she looks like a dream. She looks incredible. And... Our children pop up behind her, and little ones fling themselves around my legs and, and give me a big hug. Uh, others lean in and give me a, a kiss or a hug, and everyone's got smiles. That's what happens when I come home. And this man got very pensive and he said, That's not at all what happens when I come home. Uh, can I tell you? And I said, yes but I don't want you to tell everybody in this meeting as well so why don't you speak to me afterwards and uh, Will comes up afterwards and he's very upset he says uh, uh, my children don't even stop watching tv I come in I'm ignored I even greet them by name and if anything they'll say hi but they don't take their eyes off the television and uh, and my wife may or may not be home and if she is she'll uh she'll continue doing whatever it is that she's doing and um i said to him look this is the the, the marriage you've created and the family you've created uh, they are being totally faithful to everything you taught them and i knew this was going to upset him but you have to know the reality particularly if you want to change it and uh He said to me, well, I would like to change it. And I said, before you uh, agree to want to change it, I want to tell you something you really have to know. And that is that the general rule is that when we, and everybody, please hear this very, very clearly. What I'm about to describe applies to whether you're trying to fix a toothache or whether you're trying to fix a marriage or you're trying to fix a child raising problem or you're trying to fix a financial problem. Please be aware, here's the rule. Very, very important. Rabbi Daniel Lapin rule number ninety four. And that is whenever you start trying to repair a situation, the initial impact is so much worse that you almost wish that you would have left it alone right Um, you know let's imagine you discover that uh, you've got a bad pipe and there's there's a slight drip and you can tell there's moisture in your wall you've got two choices leave it alone or tackle it and you decide to tackle it and you've got to rip out the plaster and break through the the board and you've got to get to the pipe and you've exposed the, the wiring and the uh, and the um, studs and you finally find the leaking pipe and you've got to turn off the water, you've got to saw out the bad section, you've got to get in a new, you know, you're looking at this mess in the bathroom and you're looking at the watch and and all the other things you need to be doing and you're saying, you know what, I wish I'd have just left moisture in the wall. I, I could have just lived with that. This, this repair is horrendous but deep down you know you couldn't have because that water in the wall was each and every passing day causing a rot situation for wood within the structure. You really didn't want to do that, this needed to be fixed, but the initial impact of the repair is so much worse that you just wish you'd have left it alone. Eventually late that night you finish the job, you come back the next day and you do the drywall and you plaster over and then you paint and then finally you look at it and you feel great, I fixed it, the problem is now fixed and it's fixed long term and it's fixed right and now you forget all the difficulties. But you have to know this happens. Uh, You have a small toothache, nothing big comes and goes, you decide to go and have it, the next thing you know, you're having an injection, an anesthetic in your mouth, you're having drilling going on, you've got a root canal going on, Uh, after that you're you're taking pain medication for two days, You know, I I wish I'd have just left it alone. No, you don't. You know, the repair has to happen. And uh, it's better. But going in, it helps if you know that the initial impact is going to seem to make the problem much worse than it was when you were motivated to try and repair it in the first place. So I explained this and, he, uh, and I said, no, take a week and then come and tell me if you want to fix it. If you then want to fix it, I'll tell you what to do. He came back a week later and said, I really want to fix it. I, I'm not happy. Now that I know what a marriage can be like, I, I want to fix it. Your kids are teenagers already. This is going to be really hard. Please remember what I told you. It will deteriorate before it gets better. Um remember that right now it's not ideal but at least it's relatively peaceful you come home and you know you can if if you want to do something you can go ahead and nobody's bothering you they're not greeting you they're not acknowledging you they're not showing love to you none of that but at least you got peace and he said well I still want to do it I said tell me how about if it leads to a divorce will you still feel that it's worthwhile and he looked in me in the eye and he said, I've thought about that. I realized obviously that when you said it could get worse and will get worse, maybe it means much worse. And uh, I, I wouldn't like that. He said, I would not. But if that happened, I will do my best to get married as soon as I've recovered from the trauma. And I will try and build a new family. And uh, and I'll try and get this one right. And um anyways uh, I told him what he has to do and uh, obviously it got much worse Uh, his wife and his children were highly indignant when he made his demands known because his wife wasn't buying into this at all anyways uh, I could tell you much more about the story and maybe one day I will Uh, I saw this individual um, when I was in his city um, during this year just earlier this year And uh, he is remarried, as I knew he was. He has three young children, and he has a beautiful family. And he took me aside uh, into another room when I was visiting, and he said, I have only one thing to say, and that is, thank you. And, uh, And I often ask myself, why didn't I know you when I was starting off my married life? And I said, look, uh, perhaps the most frequent uh, comment I get is, where were you when I was setting my life up financially or family-wise in every other way? Look, um, I I get it. We are living in such a damaged culture in whatever country you're living in. This is true for almost every country. We're living in such a damaged culture that we all go ahead and make critical decisions having to do with finances and families, sometimes even fitness, sometimes even our health, uh, without knowing the things we should have known. It's sad, it's horrible, it's terrible, uh, but better late than never. And uh, in this man's case, he he knew what he was doing. He decided, in fact, to go ahead just as he wanted to and to try and um, he hoped it wouldn't come to it he hoped he'd be able no but you know we we all would like to be married only once right Our everyone's desire i mean even little children should learn you should teach little kids remember that it's a wonderful thing to be married only once it's a wonderful thing Um there was talking about uh, blessings you know may you marry and be married only once um there's a rabbi no longer alive but uh, i was at his funeral um when i was 16 years old so i knew exactly who he was 16 yeah i think i was 16 when i was at his funeral and um, he um, uh, needed to try and get some jewish refugees out of italy Um, after Mussolini came to power and the Germans were in control and Jews were being rounded up in Italy there were some uh, Jews that appealed to this rabbi to help get him out and uh, he sought out out, um, a mafia leader in New York and he asked for a meeting And it's like two dons, because these are two highly respected gentlemen, one law-abiding, one less so, um, but both very committed to family, both very committed to people. And um, he spoke to him and he he said, look, I've got uh, these people I have to get out of Italy. Do you have any connections in Italy? and this Mafia leader took a liking to the rabbi and he said as a matter of fact I do we're, we're one big family he said and yeah I got people there and um, they worked out a plan that the mafia, were, the mafia leader would get people his people in Italy to get hold of these Jews and guide them all the way down south and then across the straits to Sicily and um, they were they were going to be kept in hiding in Sicily until the end of the war it's exactly what happened and a little while later the war did come to an end they had survived they were being kept alive by a Mafia family in Italy and uh, they were able to come to the United States of America and um, the rabbi invited the Mafia leader back again to meet the people and for them to uh, have an opportunity to express their gratitude to him. And it was a a very remarkable gathering, as you can imagine. Um, Off the record, very quiet. And uh, I only know about this because of the son of the rabbi, who then became the rabbinic leader after his father passed on. And uh, uh, the rabbi asked, excuse me, the mafia leader, before this event ended, he came, he went to the, the host. He said to the rabbi, look, we've come through a lot together. We've pulled this off. I am grateful to have been able to help you. And the rabbi said, and you know how grateful I am. And the rabbi said, I want you to give me a blessing. I know that you're a holy man. I want you to give me a blessing. And the rabbi said, look, I'm not a holy man. Um, but we do, uh, we do understand that people can bless one another. And that the more connected people are to God, the more effectively they can bring his blessings. So I will be happy to give you a blessing. And the rabbi went quiet for a few moments and he placed his hands on the head of the mafia leader. And he said, may God grant you that you should die of very old age in your own bed at peace with your family. The mafia leader was very moved and um, it's exactly what happened as you know it's not necessarily characteristic of mafia leaders that they do all die peacefully of old age in their bed this one did and uh, before he died he conveyed the whole story to his son his son (laughs) came to visit the new rabbi who was the son of the old rabbi and he said he came to visit him in in the town in which he lived and this this new mafia leader the younger man said our fathers were very good friends he said yes i i know uh, your father helped my father he says yes but your father gave my father a blessing that worked out it came true he said yes i know he said i want a blessing from you and um he said uh, he said to him i am not yet at the stage of my father where i'm able to give that kind of blessing so um i'm not able to uh i'm i'm not able to to do that and so he didn't give him a blessing at that point but from what i know the relationship continued and I don't know that there was not a later opportunity. It, it's an extraordinary story. I, I can't go into the whole part of it. There are parts of it I am not at liberty to speak about. But um, but, but blessings blessings have significance, and so uh, uh, when um, uh, people. Um, give one another blessings, particularly if they're people who have worked at trying to build a connection with God and to build faith, uh those blessings do actually have significance. And so, uh in in marriage, yeah, that's right also. And um we uh I, I wanted to sort of wrap up the, the last four. Oh I, I said four. Do you feel your emotional needs are being met? Uh, focus on delivering the needs to your spouse, and you'll be amazed at how your needs will be met. Leave out the word emotional. Um, I also don't like the word emotional abuse. I also don't like the idea that words are violence. When when words stop having meaning, right? Abuse means abuse. As soon as you say verbal abuse or emotional abuse, it becomes subjective. I've done absolutely nothing to you, and you're accusing me of emotional abuse because it's all now about how you feel, you cannot operate a marriage or a business relationship or a society or a judicial system on subjective rulings. You can't do it like that. I feel offended by what you said. Tough cookies. And when you're ready, we'll talk about what I said and whether there was something wrong and offensive in what I said in which case I must apologize or in which case I didn't in which case you've got a thin skin you need to get a thicker skin but we can't operate a relationship on your feelings and so that's why I say emotional needs no let's talk about real needs let's talk about needs that can be responded to with actual actions conduct and behavior I don't want this relationship to be contingent on mysterious mind wisps moving through the ether intangibly and imperceptibly. No. There are right ways to behave towards your spouse. That's what you've got to do. In that case, and in so doing, uh, they get their needs met and you get your needs met. Um, Number five. Are you able to say no and create boundaries without being made to feel guilty? Are you able to say no and create boundaries without being made to feel guilty or selfish? Well, again, that's also a tricky one. Let me me tell you why. We've got to a point in the culture, and this is true again wherever you live, where um, the governing controlling factor is whether you feel like it. Now this is not how the world really works. I have to go to work whether I feel like it or not and uh, one of the great enemies of uh, the religion of secular fundamentalism based on feelings instead of on beliefs facts and realities um, one of the fatal enemies of secular fundamentalism is called reality because reality will always help put you right it's one of the things I tell you that if you know if you have a 19 a year old who just doesn't know what he wants to do with his life and he's just sort of hanging around and uh, to go to college and just waste all that money and acquire student debt Uh, to take a course in gender studies or something equally stupid and meaningless um, what for and so you know what you know this person is he's trying to take a community college course in this he's trying to he's trying to learn to teach himself how to do computer game coding and anyway what do you do with a 19 year old who's in that situation and again uh, I can't sort of prescribe long distance for every situation. But in an overwhelming majority of situations, there's only one simple right solution for that 19 year old. You know what it is? He's got to get a job and it's his parents' responsibility to make it an imperative for him to get a job. And there are lots of ways to do that, obviously. But that's absolutely crucial because a job is an interaction with reality. A job you could even say is a collision with reality. Um, you've got to interact with other people. You very quickly learn how they feel about you. Maybe you never knew how other people feel about you. Having a job is a great way to discover. Uh, you have a relationship with a the boss. There's value. You've got to deliver value. You receive value. A job is really a wonderful way in order to move forward out of that late teens lassitude where you you just can't find what to do or where to do it you don't know what you wanted fine take a year in a job what sort of job I don't know work on a construction site you won't go wrong if provided you're lucky enough to be able to get a job on a construction site uh, but whatever it is and and during the course of that time you will learn maybe try and find a a, a rigger who'll take you on as an apprentice, or uh, there's so many different things you could do. But it's during that time that you will find what it is you should be doing. And so, uh, when, um, when we say that we are misled by the culture that our feelings really matter, It's a real problem because in a marriage, a lot of times we have to do things that we don't necessarily feel like doing. You know, um, know, I'll tell you the truth. I mean, if I stop to actually think about it, do I really feel like um, cooking meals for my wife who isn't feeling well? Or do I have other things I'd rather be doing? Well, we've been married for (laughs) for a few years and there's already such a reservoir of goodwill and so much accumulated appreciation that I actually do feel happy to be able to do something for her. But you could readily understand, you know, if if we were more newly married, uh, yeah, there are lots of things I do that I don't feel like. And guess what? I know there's a whole lot of things she does that she doesn't feel like doing necessarily. Now, as a marriage moves along and grows in richness and maturity, Uh, you become integrated with these emotions and you actually do start feeling like doing these things, even though somebody else watching would say to you, like, look, do you really feel like doing that for your wife? And I'd say, yeah, look, I really understand that to you it would appear as if I can't possibly feel like doing that. But over the years, I've made myself do what I know I must do, not what I feel like doing. Do you hear what that is in a marriage? You learn, each of you learns, to do what you know you must do, not what you feel like doing. As an adolescent, you do what you feel like doing. As a child, as a spoiled adult, you do what you feel like doing. But that's not the way to grow as a human being. You want to do what you should be doing, not what you feel like doing. And there are lots of examples like this. Um, I, uh, I, I don't want to treat this in full, uh, but it, I do want to at least just mention it and that I spoke earlier that a man, whether he likes it or not, deep down inside, of us, we can't help it, but we measure and we feel the love of our women uh, by, the, by the physical intimacy they grant us. And that's what it is, right? Men chase women much more than women chase men because we need, as men, we need to be granted That intimacy and that closeness and um, there is no doubt about it that there are many many times that a wise woman inside herself her inner self rolls her inner eyeballs and says, I can't believe I mean he's showing all the signs of really wanting to spend some time with me now I can't believe it there's nothing I feel less like doing right now and wise women have always understood and do understand this is a time to do not what you feel like doing which is certainly not this but to do what your head tells you should be done now what the situation needs and the husband is never aware doesn't even know that his wife is doing something he desperately feels like this he doesn't even know that she doesn't because she's so smart that she conceals that and she becomes involved These women do that today, not only are they wise, but they're very courageous because the feminist culture is telling them, don't do that. The feminist culture is telling wives everything that's wrong with surrendering to your husband even when you don't feel like it. And uh, it goes both ways there. There are many, many times, many things that wise husbands do Um, that are the right thing to do even though they don't feel like them one of them by the way is work what what would a wife feel if her husband Monday morning lies in bed doesn't get up hey are you feeling okay I'm feeling fine what's about work I didn't feel like going to work today that would fill many wives with a deep sense of unease and misgiving because One of the things we expect from mature partners is to act not the way we feel, but to act the way we know we should act. So it's a really, really very important point. And so, um, number six, are you ever being coerced into doing something you're not feeling like doing? Uh, I guess I've covered this already. Uh, Yeah, it's not a case of being coerced. It's a case of knowing it's the right thing to do for my marriage, even though it's all what I feel like doing. Sure, plenty times. There's no husband or wife in a good marriage who wouldn't say, yeah, of course there are times I feel I've been coerced into having to do things. Absolutely. Um, and number seven, the last one is, uh, after an argument, and you know, by the way, that I don't approve of any of these things. I think these are terrible. These are from a Portland, Oregon psychologist published these. And I think it was on Instagram and it like went berserk. Two million people, you know, because I guess people like lists that simplify things. So here are seven questions to test your relationship. It's a disaster. I mean, following this is so bad. And so I thought it'd be interesting if I devoted two shows more or less to debunking. And the last one is after an argument, are you able to repair and reconnect uh, without feeling battered and exhausted? Okay, fine. Look, uh, again, in a marriage, mechanisms for resolving disputes are are things you work out very, very early, ideally before you're married. I think I've told you that uh, um, one of the things that I recommend um, couples is um, before you get married, choose who will be your mediator. Who will you go to when there is an issue between you? who will you go to that you will allow to resolve the dispute for you? And that way, having agreed to this in advance, at the end of, uh, of, the, of the issue, neither of you has been defeated by the other. Neither of you has um, given up and, uh, and let the other have his way. But no, you've both given into the system you set up when you got married. Uh, my wife and I did that when we got married we we decided to choose somebody to my astonishment she suggested my father to whom i readily agreed uh had i but known then that on almost every issue we brought to him like four out of five issues we brought to him he sided on with her not with me um and i don't think he was siding with her i think in hindsight uh, yeah she was right you know but i couldn't see it i was emotionally involved at the time uh, he as an outsider saw it and it was great because in every case we, we 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 having obviously a bitter argument that necessitated us going to see my father um so it was a pretty intense argument but in each of the cases it was resolved calmly because once he'd given his decision we smiled <laughs> okay fine that's that's how it goes and uh it's it's really a very good way of of dealing with it even if you don't do that um uh, couples married couples find ways to get over disputes quickly so again I don't think that that is necessarily a good way if you're in a long-term relationship and you don't have a way of getting over uh, disputes that's not good and and that's pretty much what he says so I'll give him one out of seven is uh is what I will give him um a large part, and I just want to make sure there was nothing else that I noted that I, I felt I had to tell you about. <clears throat> um, yeah, The only other thing that I wanted to, to, to mention was that, um, and I've spoken about this before but not in exactly the same kind of a way, and that is that um, love is always cited as the main thing i've heard this again and again i've heard marriage counselors sometimes marriage counselors have consulted me and they've said well um this couple you know they don't love each other anymore so i guess there's no way to save that marriage nonsense that's not true that's not true at all the marriage is not contingent on love and what is love anyways The truth is that if you cannot distinguish between love and lust, if you can't distinguish between the giving aspects of love and the taking aspects of love, then you have no business using the word in the first place. No, uh, love means to be consumed by an irresistible drive to just give and to bestow and to do good for the other person, the subject of of your love. And that's, that's what it is. When people... Uh, speak about loving God it's just an overflowing this is one of the reasons that um, sacrifices are a reality in the Bible because you just want to give to God or you're so overwhelmed with love Uh, that's exactly what it is Uh, when when parents love children which is the most reliable form of love there is and it is uh, in fact the first usage of the word love in the Bible is in the context of Abraham and his son Isaac Uh, parents love children that's why they just give them all the time parents don't stop doing for children that's what's going on that's what love means and so um no uh a marriage if there's a commitment and a set of shared values in the marriage and those haven't changed and they shouldn't uh yeah of course the marriage can be put together there's no question about that it needs skillful outside assistance there's no question about it but um the, the question is not, do you still love one another? And I, again, as I said, I've seen um, ill advised counselors say to a couple that comes to them with a tottering marriage, well, do you still love one another? Excuse me? <laughs> Who knows? What sort of. A, I, few people can answer that question under normal circumstances, certainly not under stress. So, uh, my dear happy warriors. I am going to leave it over here for today's show. Uh, I want to thank you very, very much for being part of the show and being with us. I want to ask you to uh, head over to the website, rabbidaniellappen.com, And here's what I want you to do. There is a, a way to watch a free hour, no, a free half hour, of my teaching series, um, scrolling through scripture. Absolutely free. Enjoy it. Uh, It'll begin to give you an insight into where ancient Jewish wisdom is rooted and how it is that the critical difference between knowledge and wisdom can make all the difference between a successfully lived life and a bilge water-like mess. So go to rabbidaniellappin.com, take a look at um, the scrolling through scripture, find the free half hour lesson, enjoy it and gain from it in a way that will make sure you keep on every day moving onwards and upwards in your finances and in your faith, in your friendship and in your fitness and in your family life as well. I'm Rabbi Daniel Lappin. Till next week, God bless. Stream and subscribe to more Blaze Media content at theblaze.com slash podcasts.